Hello again and welcome to another episode of Voices from SA. My name is Nicholas Claude. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you're keeping well wherever you are and uh, keeping warm if you're in South Africa or on the Southern Hemisphere, I suppose, as winter closes in. My guest this week is Faith Pinar. She's the Senior Program Officer for Accountability Lab South Africa and is based here in Johannesburg. The objectives of Accountability Lab which operates in a number of countries around the world, including Liberia, Mali, and Nigeria and Africa, are to promote good governance and accountability with a focus on the public service. And this is done through different programs that may differ slightly in focus and form uh, from country to country. In South Africa, the flagship program for Accountability Lab is the Integrity Icon Campaign, where communities nominate public servants who have performed above and beyond in their duties. And while the organization in South Africa is newly formed, there are ambitious plans to build community-based accountability networks that highlight uh, people of integrity working in the public service, amongst other things. We chat a little bit about that um, during the course of this podcast. Faith studied winemaking at Stellenbosch University, but abandoned a career in the wine industry for the challenges of civil society, and we chat a little bit about the journey that she's been on, is on, um, and we also delved a little bit into the work of Accountability Lab in a little bit more detail, the importance of civil society in building a functioning public service uh, in South Africa. Um, something that's been highlighted in a number of the recent uh, chats I've had. So please now enjoy my discussion with uh, Faith. Hi Faith, good afternoon and thanks for your time here. We're sitting in the Accountability Lab offices in at 44 Stanley, the 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 complex downtown. I'm not even sure what part of the world this is, is it? Yeah, we're in Mill Park. Mill Park. Park. Mill Park, that's yeah. right. Um, so nice to see you Thank again. Thank you. Uh, we did meet uh, briefly last week just to chat a little bit about um, the accountability lab and, mm -hmm. and how we could, um, yeah, how we should structure this discussion. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to, I suppose, start with your well, should we start with the accountability lab? Let's just, if we could look a little bit in general yeah. um, as to the aims and objectives of the accountability lab. It's, I have to admit, an organization. Uh, you're a civil society NGO, I suppose, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, in the kind of peace and justice sector, if yeah. I could put it that way. Um, please, if you could just tell us a little bit about the work of the accountability lab um, it's, it's kind of ideals in general and yeah. it's work specifically in South Africa. Um, yeah, the Accountability Lab works in the good governance and social accountability space. And like you said, we are in Nepal, Liberia, Mali, Pakistan, um, South Africa and Mexico. And essentially what our founder, Blair Glencoe's uh, discovered along with our country director in Nepal six years ago was that accountability challenges uh, affect every sector um, and affect people's ability to access services, uh, the quality of healthcare, education. It's kind of the, it's the underpinning of society is, is how accountable are 
governments to their citizens and what can citizens do to hold elected officials accountable. So our work looks different in different contexts because mm -hmm. obviously South Africa is very different from Liberia and it's very different from Nepal. Sure. Um, and it's very, it's, it's owned by the ground up. So in South Africa, for example, um, our, our work is driven by young people like myself who are passionate about the value of integrity um, and seeing it come alive within in the public space. Um, and what makes us different, I think, is that we, we work on, on positivity. We work on quite positive terms, which is, which is uh, sometimes it's difficult for our peers to understand because people think you can't hold both ideas. You can't be both critical and positive. So you can't be critical of what's happening of the environment in a way, but also hopeful that it can be different. Mm. And I think to our space in South Africa, we offer that. So we show our colleagues and our peers examples of public servants that are doing uh, things uh, efficiently and effectively. Um, and for me, the lab represents uh, a space to think differently about social accountability issues and how that ties with realizing justice and equity in our society. Um, what do you mean by think different? Well, I think, you know, when, when people think of corruption and how it impacts everyday people, um, we, the narrative around the world has been around naming and shaming. And I think rightly so, right? I think there is, there is some kind of power in um, making examples of, of bad people and having a conversation on those terms. But I think even that these it's, commissions of inquiry yes, that we're holding now in yes, South Africa. Yes, I think that there is value in that and I think that there is space. What there is also space for is kind of the naming and faming work that we do, is, is highlighting people who work in systems, who develop their own networks that are, are really committed to the public good. Um, and I think that's what makes our work different. I think that we are actively looking for opportunities. We're actively looking to catch people doing the right thing and then giving mm. them the support and resources um, uh, to, to help strengthen their work. Um, and in this, this you know, kind of culture of you know, constant critique and constant critical analysis, I think our work is very refreshing that I come to work and I feel hopeful after engaging with the people that I work with. Um, but I'm also quite aware that if we don't do our work with this kind of perspective, then we probably won't be as effective because we're actually showing society this is what you can be mm. if, you are, if you are aligned to values and in our context to the Constitution. Yes, that there is still space for good, I suppose, yeah. in, in, in the context where sometimes I think people do feel certain amount yeah. of despair, particularly around the public service. Mm -hmm. I just want to go back to something you said about, you know, working from the ground up and mm -hmm. sort of targeting the youth. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do, how do you sort of engage yeah. uh, at, at that level? I mean, how do people know about you? How do people mm -hmm. get in touch with you? How do, how, how does that relationship work? Yeah. Well, in, in South Africa, we're still quite a small operation and we only really have 
two permanent staff members and now three next month. And so we really do rely on our, our friends and partners who we've made in the civil society environment to, to get the word of, of the lab out there. And right. we, we quite like working in coalitions and, and partnerships because we strengthen one another's core work anyway. But um, young people find us in, in, in different ways. The first one is social media. Um, we've got quite a big um, social media following, um, not just in South Africa, but um, on the continent. Um, and I think we use um, art and film as a, 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 a connecting point for young people. So for example, we don't do this here in South Africa, but in Nigeria, for example, our colleagues use rap music to get mm -hmm. young people to think about what does it mean to build an accountable society. And then young aspiring rap artists can make songs that they are passionate about. And it's a, it's a major hit, you know, there's thousands of mm. people following our campaign there called Voice to Rep um, and, and Rap to Rep, which is called um, and it's, it's taken off quite well. Here in South Africa, we use, we have a film fellowship where we get young people who are interested in telling their own stories from their own lenses. Um, and we empower and we work with them to, to tell the stories of the public servants that are working with integrity. Um, so we're quite small at the moment, mm. but there's huge potential for our work going forward. And I think that's, that's exciting. When, when exactly was the Office uh, for Accountability Lab established here in South Africa? Well, last year we, we launched our kind of flagship campaign in South Africa called Integrity Icon, um, which is our campaign to name and fame honest public servants. Yes, but these we are like were sort just, of yeah, yeah. the accountability ambassadors, I suppose exactly, we, call, we could exactly, call them. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so we ran that as a special project and used 2018 to see where we would fit, what is the need Oh, that was a kind of look, sort of put your toe in the water yeah. and just sort of get a feel for the, 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 the pulse. Yeah. And I had joined the lab as a non-profit management fellow because I was making a career transition and I wanted to work in the civil society slash non-profit space. Mm. And my desire to do that matches the lab you know, from we collided in, in a way, and so we only really registered uh, at the beginning of this year of 2019. Oh man. Okay, so you are um, really fledgling. <laughs> we are going, we are going, and I think you know we ran our campaign. So last you're not year. fledgling, you are airborne, you're flying. Yeah, we're flying. <laughs> we're flying. We ran our campaign last year in a very small budget, but uh, to our surprise, a lot of people were receptive to the idea of having a national campaign. That was that had this positive tone. Yeah. People were hungry for it. I think you know people were overwhelmed by what they were reading in the papers. Yeah, and, I suppose uh, just some good news and, at and the end of the news. day. Yeah. But not just naive good news. No, you exactly. Know, news that could make a difference. That um, yeah, that could help shift culture or, or norms or build different kind of norms. And I suppose, um, I mean, you'd have to 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 correct me here, but I suppose. One of the ideas about the um, uh, having these accountability icons, and we can go into a little more detail about the kinds of people you've identified and how that process works, mm. um, is that it not only sort of shows the public that there are public servants not only doing their work, but perhaps even above and beyond the call. Yeah. Um, but it also, I suppose, 
protects those people in a way, doesn't it? Yeah. That, because I imagine in a in an extremely corrupt environment, mm -hmm. to be the good person is extremely, you must feel quite alone yourself. So yeah. this is a kind of a hug from the community in, a, in yeah. a sense. No, 100%. And one of the things we know, not even just from our work, but from how we understand whistleblowing is that it's, it's quite isolating. It's, mm. it's, and if you're in an environment that is incredibly toxic, you, your desire is to find someone who is the same as you. So when initially I, I connected with the top five or the final five integrity icons last year, a couple of them said on the phone, oh my goodness, and now I get to find and connect with someone like me who's, who's been in an environment where there's low levels of accountability, but they persisted. And that feeling of being part of a network yes. really does strengthen what it is they would like to do um, and how they want to serve uh, their communities. I think the also the OC other thing about um, it's something I've been thinking about a lot about just you know personally is is how corruption is is a crime of power and networks um, and perhaps you know one of the ways that we can address that is by shifting the power and by developing alternative networks. Yes, um, exactly. And Integrity Idol for me presents this interesting vehicle to do that mm. um, and we see now we've connected you know five to ten people from across the country working in different sectors but facing similar challenges and we're just asking you know our friends our donors you know the business environment to support us in resources to make to, to that make, grow that network yeah, to I grow suppose. that network yeah yeah, yeah. Um, what is the process by which those um, accountability icons are mm -hmm. identified? So anyone can nominate a public servant working in health education or safety or justice. And we specifically focused on those sectors because from what we've known and the revelations that we understand from state capture is that um, corruption and low levels of accountability has a disproportionate effect on those sectors more than anything. So if someone loots money from health or education budgets, you know, people die. Mm. Um, and so that's why with our limited capacity, we have selected those sectors. And then they go through a very rigorous background check with the Department of Public Service and Administration, which we've developed a relationship with. And then we have a... Yeah, of course, because, I mean, that's quite... Yeah, we have to check that these... You have to make sure you've <laughs> chosen the right people. Yes. Yeah, my yes. goodness. And then, you know, a part that's really exciting is we gather a high-level panel of, of judges. And this year we were fortunate enough to have Justice um, Zach Yacoub, um, Adila, Advocate Adila Hassam, mm -hmm. Professor William Gumede. Last year we had um, the education expert Mary Metcalf on our panel. Right. And they help us as a process to decide what does integrity mean for South Africans in this, in today. Mm. So what is the difference between a good principle and an excellent principle? What, what, um, what makes a really good uh, district officer um, different from a local judge? Um, and so they help us to decide that. And, you know, the criteria is, 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 is really simple. Public servants know who they're supposed to be. It's, it says that in the Constitution in Section 195. But it also... It, has 
has a lot to do with whether this individual is using resources efficiently and whether they are in some way innovating the public service. So are they mm -hmm. making it easier for people at touch points? Are they making lines shorter? Um, do they treat uh, patients with dignity so that they come back to a healthcare facility? Because one of the things we hear about all the time is, you know, nurses and doctors have really bad attitudes about or stigma um, about certain diseases and and so Young girls and that's, looking that's, for abortion. Yes, for and that is an inhibitor to treatment. Mm. Um, and so integrity for us, you know, that was one of the things we decided last year was a nurse that that is able to is so dedicated to her ethics of care that that she treats everyone with dignity because she she knows that if she doesn't, someone won't come back to the to that healthcare facility. Um, and what does it mean when she's recognized for that? What does it mean for her peers? What does it mean for the system around her when she acts in those ways? Um, so it's quite a rigorous process, um, but it's also been a, a good learning process. You know, people ask us around the world, you know, you know, so then you have these integrity icons and then what? And for us, the, the so what is, is actually what happens between campaigns. It's, it's that an icon can tell us that, you know what, there was a very bad uh, department report that people are trying to slide under the table. Now they know a civil society organization and we know another civil society organization, we can pass that information forward. Or we want to set up an ethics committee. Can you can you be the conveners and facilitators between our our small department in rural Eastern Cape and connect us to the DPSA? Just because we've been in that space, that's the support that that uh, civil servants and the system needs today. Right. Yes. Because I, I was going to ask you, what is the kind of follow up, or what do you, how do you expect the relationship to develop between mm. your icon and the organization because mm -hmm. as i said a sort of accountability ambassador but they almost become like yeah one of your boots on the ground yeah. is that the expectation or is that the is that what has happened i mean a number of things have happened but you know one of the things is we know as ordinary south africans that government departments and part systems in south africa don't speak to one another but if you have a little bit more resources, you can connect the dots for yourself. And so because we've been able to develop relationships quite high up with the DPSA to all the way, we can DPSA? help the Department of Public Service and Administration. Uh. Um, I'm on short name terms now. Hey. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but we can help facilitate those relationships in ways that I think... Unfortunately, the, the leadership doesn't, doesn't allow that. Enable. Yeah. Hmm. And then the other thing is, you know, our icons really are hungry for leadership development that, is, that helps an environment reflect on what is integrity, what is accountability, what is ethics. One of the things that I think about all of the time is that building a culture of accountability and integrity is like building a muscle so you kind of have to, your organization or the people who make the decisions have to strengthen the muscle every time there's a compliance meeting or, pro, or procurement meeting. You, you strengthen the organization's ability to act in, in ways that have integrity by practicing it. Mm. You know, it's not, just, it's not just you have it or you're not. And it's not like you're good or bad. There's so many in-between things 
um, that an organization needs to become comfortable with asking itself questions. Is this integrity? Is this aligned? Mm. The, the questioning culture um, that I've experienced from some of the idols that have asked me has helped to strengthen um, the work that they do, has, has put integrity on the table, um, a value like integrity on the table, and, has, and hasn't made things black and white, you know. Um, and yeah, has, has allowed the environment to reflect on what behaviors and practices are appropriate um, so that they are accountable. Um, you would have thought, though, that, I mean, there are built into the processes mm. these kinds of checks and balances uh, when it comes to things like procurement. I mean, clearly they're, they're not strong enough or people can yeah. just ignore them. I mean, what is the... How do you see the... If mm. I can sort of broad, paint a broad... If you could paint some broad brushstrokes through all of those sectors you, you, you mentioned. I mean, mm. are there sort of common denominators of the problems that mm. that I suppose these more middle ranking people mm. that you that you are, are dealing with face mm. um, this incredible pressure from I suppose this downward pressure for them to behave in certain ways mm. I think you know from my experience in and conversations with public servants from very different environments is that one, it is a question of not having a process in place. So in some environments, procurement is just not a, a process. And so that's, for me, that's in one of the easier things to fix. You can connect mm. them to an ethics officer and you can say, can you check the, the ethics and integrity management in this particular place of work? But then there's, there's something that's, I think, more important, not more important, but that's more valuable, and this is the work that we do, is getting people to ask questions before bad things happen mm. and to raise the flag. So if they are unsure or if they are unsure, they don't, they don't, they don't let the ball go because in the environment we have cultivated the, the behavior of it's okay to talk about integrity and accountability. It's, it's not that you're bad and you take money. Um, and we also re need to re remind middle managers that the resources that they work for and the people that they work, it's all in the interest of the public good. Yeah. And that's a conversation that is almost forgotten. Yeah. So we remind our public servants about their own Batupelo principles, which is put people first, people first, um, through forums, um, through workshops. Um, this year at our launch, we did that quite intentionally um, and instilling a sense of pride in their work. So even the rec recognition of an integrity icon has huge impacts not just on the icon, but on their team. Really? Yeah, because, you know, their team asks, what makes Nick so fantastic that he's an integrity icon? Um, what does it say about our team? You know, for, 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 for peers, it's a motivating factor. Mm. Um, there have been some instances of, of jealousy, and we try to work and in that in-between space and... and Say, understand facilitate the acceptance of the award and say, okay, mm. well, you also want to be shiny, so you can also, you, these are the things you need to, 
to to do to be an icon. Mm. Mm. Um, you sort of you spoke about the almost the loneliness of the whistleblower. Mm. Um, and it seems to be a global phenomenon, really, that everyone's talking about, you know, please come forward. But mm. as soon as people do come forward, they seem to be ostracized or put on trial themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was last week I was reading about somebody who was one of these financial officers was appearing at, a, at the Zondo Commission. I think it was, I don't have my complete details mm -hmm. in a row, but it was it was kind of, she got in trouble for reporting to the wrong whistleblower yeah. channel. Yeah. I'm not using like the company whistleblower channel, yeah. but another whistleblower channel, which makes you think, I mean, maybe that whistleblower channel is kind of there to almost entrap people. So that's <laughs> another kind of yeah, issue that kind you have with the whole mm -hmm. whistleblowing process. I mean, how would you improve the, the lot of the whistleblower in yeah. this country in particular? Well, is that something <laughs> you think about? Yeah, that's something that I not just think about from the lab's perspective, but as someone who's in the civil society space doing this kind of work. It's, you know, I, if, I, if I put my lab hat on, um, it is about shifting cult the culture. Um, it, that's actually what it is. And it's, it's hard to shift culture because culture is people, behavior, practices, and it takes a long time. But once people see examples of that, um, it's easier to do. Um, my other sense around whistleblowing is that in some parts of the country it's incredibly dangerous. You know, people die and they lose their lives. Um, and, you know, the, the kind of icons we like to highlight are, are people that are, are phenomenal in doing what they're doing, but uh, who also come from environments where it is difficult to speak out. Mm. So you'll see the, the icons that we profile are not from your traditionally urban or even peri-urban environments. Because I think, you know, I love Johannesburg as much as I do, but we, 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 we are always in the news and yeah. um, we are kind of hyper-visible. No, I get where you're from, yeah. If you, are in a, if, you, if you don't think critically about the news that you're reading and, and whose voices are highlighted, then you can very easily not understand what it means to be a public servant in the Eastern Cape or in Pumalanga. Yeah. So we try very hard to shift the lens and power in that way. Um, I want to just go back a little bit. You, you mentioned um, that you kind of almost stumbled into this position. You were kind of at a crossroads in terms of your career direction. I do know that you're a, a Vitna. <laughs> Is that correct? Uh, viticulturalist. A viticulturalist. And what, a winemaker. Yes, you're, you're, a, you're a qualified mm -hmm. winemaker. Yeah. Um, how did you choose that as your initial career path, yeah. winemaking? I mean, you, you're from Johannesburg. Yeah, I'm from Johannesburg, um, yeah. And so, I mean, what was the connection to wine? Yeah. You just love your wine so much, you wanted to make it yourself? <laughs> well, I mean, it's quite funny. I was 17 in first year, so I couldn't technically even drink <laughs> alcohol. So, I mean, that, that's the funniest part of it. Because you studied in Stellenbosch now? Yes, yeah. yes. So, t tell us how you ended up studying. I was 16, um, and my father is what South Africans understand to be uh, coloured. And my mom is, is black. Sutu, 
um, and her mother, my grandmother, is from Limpopo. And my grandmother farms millies and sugarcane and uh, uh, avocados mm. and, and mangoes for, nice, yeah. like for her own substance use. And so when I was 16, I thought, you know, let me go into farming because, you know, that's something I was a little bit familiar with. And I thought, okay, I could do table grapes because table grapes are up in the north and you can, you can farm table grapes. And that's who I wanted to be 10 years ago. <laughs> sure. um, then, you know, reading through university prospectus, I figured you can make wine from grapes. grapes. And kind of at a whim decided this is who was I was going to be. And it was really interesting and fascinating for me because it was so different from mm. how I was raised. Um, and I was really... You had no real connection to no, wine culture. I had no connection to wine culture. Your parents weren't wine drinkers. My parents did not even drink. Did not drink. So it did feel like sure. kind of an introduction to a new world. Yeah. I think I was more curious than I, than I was thinking about a career path. Um, Were you kind of rebelling in some way? or I think I had a desire to move out of Johannesburg. Mm. Yeah, I think even at 16, I, I wanted to redefine myself. And, you know, what, what better way to do that and study and, and out... Study wine instead and study of winemaking wine. instead of... And I, would, I, was, I, mean, I, was, I enjoyed it and I was good. I mean, I had the maths and science marks for it. Mm. I didn't... I, I, I understood and learned in Afrikaans... Mm. Um, which is at Stellenbosch it was uh, it, it, can, it is very exclusionary if you cannot really understand sure. what's being nature to you I mean that's a kind of bastion of Africana <laughs> well, not, a, not yeah. conservatism as much as I suppose intellectual I don't know Stellenbosch is an interesting place because place. It's, it's, it's very visceral you know it's very um, you are very aware of who you are and what kind of South African you are when you are at Stellenbosch. And I think it is an environment, not just the university, but the town. What do you mean by town. that? Well, I mean, you know, it is very, dis it feels very disconnected from the South African reality, the town and the university. Um, and it's a place that I enjoy because obviously I studied there and I had many many experience, development experiences there, but it is also a, a place that puzzled me be, just because of the way that power is organized and the way that racism is still very much alive and, and other forms of discrimination. And I was very aware, and I'm not the first person to say this, of the very aware that I was black in Stellenbosch, very aware that I didn't belong. Um, How did that kind of manifest itself, I suppose, in sort of more subtle... Yeah, I mean, just, you know, the experience of going out to bars or, or clubs and knowing that you're not welcome. You're not we going to either not get in or not get served. Yes, or, or, or um, just the welcoming culture not really being welcoming and mm. um, the, the very kind of heteronormative ideas around how men and women should... Engage. We had these strange things called skarkles, which is, you know, men and women. It's, it's a very old traditional practice of how, you know, a guy meets, boy meets girl, and then 
Like you a know. sort of school dance kind of yes, thing? Yes, yes. And so... Was that between the residences? Between, yeah, between the residences. And the residence cultures, it, it has changed, you know. Some, this environment is more open than it was when I was in first year. Mm. Um, and when I, was that? When was your first year? 2011. Mm, yeah. um, there was a very interesting documentary that a movement called Open Stellenbosch put together called Laced And that gives you a little bit of a snapshot okay, to what out. Stellenbosch is. Um, this is not me like bad-mouthing my university. This is just me, you know, being honest and truth and saying this is this was my experience and owning it, you know. Mm. Mm. But then you... Yes. Made a conscious decision not to become a winemaker. Yes, well, yeah. Then I, then I had. Did you go and work on wine yes. farms so and I all of that sort of thing? I had a practical that year. Um, did, you bla- did you make a, a I, wine? <laughs> I made a wine. Sure. Um, That's brilliant. And it, it was fun and it was good. And I, I felt very competent in my ability to be a winemaker. And then I kind of had a very strange. Uh, lived experience with the industry itself. So here I was, black graduate, working in the environment, in, a, in an industry that wasn't, still not really wanting to see itself clearly. Some of the way that it, winemakers talk to laborers, um, the way that the cycle of poverty just continues, the way that you know farm workers are being displaced over farms. I was just reading about um, that this morning. Actually. And it was, re- it was really heartbreaking for, for me to, to, to see that. And I actually felt like I had no power to, to change. And some people said to me, Faith, just work your way up and one day you can help transform the industry. Mm. But for me, it felt very much like I was, I was cheating myself every time I showed up because I really had to choose between... And also, why should the pressure be on you to yes. do that? Yeah, because, you know, the, here's another black wine graduate who's going to, you know, magically transform it. Against Problem is much, yeah. And you, you, I didn't have the language for it. I didn't re- have the language to understand that it was, a, it was kind of a system experience, that it was a, a, a legacy of discrimination and oppression. I didn't have the language for it back then. Mm. And so, you know, with my gut, I kind of, you know, decided I wanted to be in the civil society space where I, where I could breathe. Hmm. Was where I where I, I felt like I I could develop the skills and knowledge and and talents to advocate with and advocate for myself and people that look like me and others and everyone as well. Was there a I mean because I suppose you you could have gone many different directions, yeah. but civil society and this kind of work mm. I mean it's. It's kind of thankless in in many respects as well, isn't it? I mean, was there a moment, what sort of made you think that or realize that civil society, this space of struggle is is the space that you wanted to be in? Does it go back to that experience with the wine industry? No, no, I, I think it's much bigger than that. I think it is because my parents are from in quotes, different racial groups. And, mm. um, and, and it is because I, I deeply, like many South Africans, understand that the civil society environment um, was pivotal to the realization of our democracy. Um, and having Organizations a, like the yeah, UDF. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
and it, it was it was understanding that the civic space is a, a space where people come together and they mm. organize and they mobilize and it can be a space that holds people accountable. As um, has been shown over the yeah. last couple of years as well. And it is also a space, unlike academia, where um, you, you can um, understand on a much deeper level the impacts of policy on people. Um, because you're engaging with, with, the, with the people you represent and you lobby for and you advocate with every single day. Um, and, you know, for me, I had to ask myself at 23 years old what was going to be a more meaningful life. Hmm. And this thank, thankless job was, um, is a more meaningful well, I'm, life. I'm, I'm, yeah, kind thankless, of, you know. But I mean, yeah. it, it's obviously beautiful work. Yeah. But... Um, I just, I just feel that, you know, in many societies, um, including our own, you know, the role of civil society yeah. is so still much underappreciated, yeah. and um, that's that's the sort of reason I use that mm. that word. Full respect, of course. Mm. Um, so, if I can just sort of go back now to <laughs> accountability lab. Mm-hmm. Um, you have sort of three, sort of, as I understand it, three sort of main objectives. It's sort of to build a build a movement yeah. uh, that strives for accountability. Mm-hmm. It's about identifying then leaders of that movement, yeah. um, and I suppose that would be in various communities and various institutions in all parts of the country, mm-hmm. and then. To then collaborate with or build relationships with other civil society yeah. organisations—is that kind of? A, yeah, a, a, I mean, I think you've hit it spot on. So, we work with individuals on every level, whether it's high level, on the ground, mid. We we really we we see the value in building coalitions across decision-making streams. We know that that is very valuable for the man on the ground and for the man on top. We know, we know that that's very. For, person, not necessarily man. Um, <laughs> Indeed. But yeah, just had to check myself there. <laughs> um, and so yeah, we do coalition building. Um, we we do work with individuals, so we build leaders. Mm. And then like, yeah, we, 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 we obviously have programs. So we have incubators, uh, which are, you know, you know, they're like a spaces where we develop entrepreneurs, we call them, like entrepreneurs. Um, we have citizen help desks, which is a program we don't really have in South Africa. Um, is that something yet. that will be? We'll, well, we'll see. <laughs> what what is that meant to, meant so to be? So citizen help desks, uh, they close feedback loops between communities and uh, either service, service the providers or, or the state. Um, so, in, for example, in Liberia, where there's a lot of movement around, you know, extractive communities, there's a, there's a lot of things that mining companies promise mm. to do for communities sure. um, and don't really close the feedback loops. And then you, you really have a number of, of problems. So mm. we've designed this really interesting intervention to help the two communities speak to one another mm-hmm. Um, so, so like a facilitation facilitation yeah okay. they're called citizen help desks um, okay but that's not here right now not here right now in, in yeah. your sort of early phases um, uh, is your is, is the 
Is the aim to build a community or a, a sort of culture of accountability mm. within communities or within the public service? I think it is to build a culture of accountability. Um, and it just so happens that our first project was very much pu public service aligned. Um, it's not that we don't think that the private sector also needs to look at itself and, and find ways. And in some other parts of the world, we engage with the private sector. But for now in South Africa, our, our first kind of big program was in the public's, mm. public service. Mm. But, you know, speaking about integrity icon, we have also brought in private actors into, the, into these networks that we are building with, with our idols because we realize how valuable it is to have that cr cross-sector perspective. Um, yeah. Um, what is the, the, the role then of the public mm. in developing a culture of accountability in the public service? Yeah. Um, because I suppose that can be quite an adversarial relationship mm -hmm. at, at some points and you want to kind of bring the two together, don't mm -hmm. you? Mm -hmm. How do you see that? Well, I think it's, you know, I think the way I look at the campaign, it's, it's pretty interesting because when the public, when a nominate someone from integrity for integrity icon they're obviously telling us something about the public service so we know a lot about what is wrong with the public service but a lot of the examples that we get from members of the community are things that are going right and why are they going right mm. so you know they you know the public can nominate someone and say oh this person just made my life easier because my my waiting time was longer Shorter, yeah. sorry, but we are interested to know why is that is that so? So and by the why public is that given not everywhere else, and why is that not everywhere else? And mm. if there is a way that we can replicate or share lessons across areas, we can do that. So, the, so the public is in a big part of integrity icon because not only do they do a lot of the sharing of the, the, the campaign on social media and getting excited, but they are telling us, giving us valuable information, giving this. The, the public service valuable inf information, you know, for mm. you know at, at no no cost, um, in the benefit of of them um, and our quality, yeah. And I suppose it goes. I mean, we sort of touched on this earlier. It's about, I suppose, building sort of starting with one icon and mm -hmm. building a uh, building islands that become continents of integrity yeah. in organizations as mm -hmm. opposed to just complaining about what is wrong, mm -hmm. um, highlighting what is right and, and using that spotlight on what is right to, mm -hmm. to kind of lift that mm -hmm. behavior. Is, is you, that, also is place, that? you also place the public in the, in the role of, of being an active participant in the solution building when, when someone nominates someone. So, you know, they, they then become so actively involved in advocating for someone that um, you strengthen the relationship between the, 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 the person in the public who did that and the public servant, which is really good for service delivery. Mm. You know, the whole thing that people don't know one another or that, you know, public servants are disengaged, you're actually encouraging consistent engagement um, in a really interesting and positive way. Um, what are the... What are, you, what are the next um, sort of steps in mm. terms of 
building up uh, accountability lab in in South Africa mm. what what are the next couple of years look like if you have that view well um, we our team is growing which is for us it's it's good because I think it it shows us that there's there's trust in our work and in our vision that's really new and exciting so we have a country director that's starting uh, next month and so that would be July of, of 2019 um, and then our Next steps is thinking about how we can build out the Integrity Idol icon program mm. um, and whether the other bits of programmatic work, whether citizen help desks or and a business accountability incubator, whether that's something we would like to do here in South Africa and how we can put together a team to do it um, would be the next steps. And then also, someone said this to me the other day when it's just been on my mind, is the value of having us in this space is we get to test out new ideas as a civil society. Because of the way that we work, learning is huge to what we do. Um, the, other, the ways that our peers are set up is not so much that. So our, our value really is for our, our peers to say, do you want to try out this? And we try it out. And if we fail and if we succeed, we can tell the environment why we did. Mm. Um, so that's how we've set ourselves up and, yeah, so just in, 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 the, in, in talking about positivity, um, the focus of accountability lab to highlight the positive, not yeah. the adversarial, but the, 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 the positivity in, in performance and behavior from particularly in this context, public servants. But also, how do you reflect on the positivity of you know what you've been talking about the space that you have to to experiment with ideas and mm. and see what works because as you mentioned earlier you know South Africa is different to well any other country on yeah. earth you can't kind of bring a a cutout method I suppose you would learn from um, accountability lab maybe we can just follow up with that um, in terms of experience around the world but we have the positivity that you're focusing on mm -hmm. but we have the positivity of a space where civil society um, in South Africa is allowed to function and is allowed to play a role and yeah. I'm just wondering how you how you reflect on that well someone said this to me the other day and um, uh, just about our work and I think the value of our work is that because we are not prescriptive but but very contextual it, it gives us the opportunity to develop responsive and responsible programming that is that is um, that is to some degree uh, help helps us to test out new ideas and a, a few other civil society organizations have the have the privilege of doing this um, so you know whether we are successful or we fail but I, I think the way that we're going, I think we are making good good gains. Mm. It means that not just for ourselves, it means that for the environment, the environment becomes more resilient in terms of its ideas, in terms of its ideals. You keep the space alive um, and open and functioning mm. um, because, you know, civil society can always come under threat. Um, and we, we strengthen our environment by, by testing out our ideas um, and working hard. Yeah. Um, and building and building networks to um, that let people work together. There are very few spaces where civil society work together meaningfully. They are, I mean, I mean, they are. But I think just because of the way that resources are, we've become very competitive, mm. and we don't. We actually 
don't want to encourage competitiveness in our environment. There's, no. there's strength in... You want to rather look for the common... Yeah, there's strength in the accountability lab, working, for example, with Corruption Watch or with the Democracy Works Foundation or with mm. the Nelson Mandela. There's strength in that. Sure. Um, and so we shouldn't... Um, it's about breaking down silos, I yeah. suppose, or that siloed kind mm -hmm. of thinking. I mean, you speak about that in business so much, you yeah. know, sort of breaking down silos between different departments, and mm -hmm. I suppose it might be the same in certain aspects for the for the NGO civil society yeah. sector. Can I just ask you now, over the last year, I mean, what would you say has been your greatest mm. uh, learning from the work that you've now thrown yourself into? Sure. On a professional note, um, just the message that I get quite clearly from public servants is that they need support and networks and resources to build this, this sense of accountability. Um, so that's what I've, I've learned in terms of um, just personally, I think that young people in this country are incredibly passionate and, and able, and when given the opportunity um, to show up, we can show up. Um, a lot of the uh, people that worked on the films for Integrated Icons were young people. You know, they were young South Africans who wanted to tell stories of our icons. Um, and we, I've learned that uh, it, we are stronger together. It sounds very much like the end of a movie. We're stronger together. <laughs> but um, we are stronger together. Um, and we, we can do the work of critiquing and proposing. So I can, I can critique something, but I can also propose and, off, and offer something. Mm. That's what I've learned this year, that we have a lot, a lot to offer. Um, yeah. yeah, that point you make about the youth, I think quite a misunderstood uh, component of our society today, and I'm just wondering how, you know, it seems mm. that in many respects, you know, we've just had a general election and there was a lot of concern about, you know, the low youth mm. um, registration, mm -hmm. low voter turnout overall, but particularly low youth uh, registration. And I'm just wondering how you would advise yeah. um, sort of the formal political structures of this country to engage more with the youth because yeah. they seem to, f the youth seem to at some level feel forgotten or yeah. irrelevant to that sort of more parliamentary well, the, or provincial the, the, government the process? The first thing is, uh, we're not a monolithic group and the youth. Uh, the youth. Um, and so depending on where you come, where you're born, where you're raised, where you come from, you have a very different experience of South Africa. Mm. And so one of the questions or one of the things I think about is the the young people who we said didn't register, that they have the documents to register. You know, that's something I, we have to think about. Did people have ID, did they have the resources? So it's what almost just about individual agency yeah. or capacity at a very basic level. Yeah. Um, mm. So th that's one question. The other question is, you know, perhaps uh, political parties and the state need to find or tap into the creative energy that young people have and engage, engage us in, in different terms. Um, 
and think about us, think about uh, being inclusive in having young people in a process and not as an adjacent. So we're not gonna talk about youth at a conference and then have young people talk about youth and then let us leave after. So how do you embed, embed young people in decision-making? Um, how do you um, meaningfully uh, acknowledge the inputs of young people and not just as a tick box exercise? Um, and we haven't, we, we haven't, we haven't learned to do that well as a country. Um, we don't, we did, we did with women as well. You know, we, oh, have we spoken about women and children and then we make a tick box. Oh, have we spoken about um, people living with disabilities and then we, we, we don't practice inclusion well and, and youth would fall into that. And my advice would be that um, it needs to, it, it's a number of, how do you include young people in decision-making? How do you understand what they're saying? How do you give people the, the platform to, to speak on their own terms is mm. what I would suggest. Faith, uh, thanks so much for sitting down with me this afternoon. It's been a great chat. Thanks so much. It was fun. hope you enjoyed that quite a journey that uh, faith is on um, from winemaker to community activist social activist accountability activist i think the idea of uh, what she mentioned there civil society organizations cooperating instead of competing to find kind of the synergies um, that offer mutual benefit um, i think is a very important one um, and particularly now with the anc and disarray uh, civil society organizations will be a crucial means to defend our constitution and advance the democratic project in South Africa and also ensure a, at, a, at, a, at a sort of human level ensure, a, particularly from the account, accountability labs uh, point of view, ensure a, a public service that works for all the people of uh, South Africa in a, an efficient uh, way. Voices from SA is hosted on Audio Boom. You may also subscribe to Voices from SA via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, Deezer, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your colleagues, tell your friends, tell the world. Until next time, I'm Nicholas Claude. Cheers. <laughs>